We're so thankful for your attendance this morning. It's good to get to be here and to stand before you and speak to you today, and I hope the time we spend here together will be uh, uplifting for all of us. We've been walking our way for a few weeks now through 1 Corinthians 13. We've looked at a series of sermons based on that great love chapter of the Bible, trying to determine how we can live out that most excellent way in our lives. And that chapter begins with some powerful statements. The Apostle Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The love that God wants us to exhibit in our lives is more valuable than knowledge. It's more valuable than faith. It's more valuable than generosity. It's more valuable than anything we might ever hope to accomplish for the Lord. And then Paul goes on to list some of the characteristics of that love. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This morning I want us to turn our attention to a characteristic listed there at the beginning of verse number 5. Paul says there, love is not rude. We can turn that around and state it in positive terms. Love is polite. That's what we want to talk about this morning. Philip's translation paraphrases this verse and says, Love has good manners. That sounds terribly anticlimactic, doesn't it? Our world is a mess of hatred, oppression, national conflict racial tension, class warfare, even religious animosity. And even though we, we tend to be short-sighted and we always want to lament that our time in history is as bad as it's ever been, well, the first century was just as bad. Frankly, it was probably worse. And yet, Paul sees fit to emphasize love is polite. Really, Paul? What's so important about politeness? Sounds pretty inconsequential, doesn't it? And yet Paul emphasizes it here. Politeness is defined as showing good manners towards others, being civil, being considerate. And Paul reminds us that that consideration of others is something that is desperately needed in our world. 
In fact, it could be thought of as the key to living out this love that we're supposed to demonstrate in our lives. Some years ago, an article appeared in Reader's Digest entitled, How to Raise Polite Kids in a Rude World. And at the beginning of it, the author, Suzanne Chazen, opens with this incident. She, she recounts an experience that happened to her. She writes, We were staying at a country inn that had a small movie theater. Before every evening's presentation, my husband and I instructed our three-year-old son to sit quietly. Except for an occasional whispered question, he sat in rapt attention. The soundtrack, however, was impossible to hear. That's because two children bounced on their seats, talked loudly, and raced up and down the aisles. Never once did I see a parent. After several evenings of this, I followed the children to the dining room. There sat a man and a woman enjoying a relaxed meal. My family's having a hard time watching the film with your children running all over the theater, I said. Do you think if they're not interested in the movie, you could keep them out here? The father regarded me coolly. We've paid for the use of the inn's facilities, he said. Our children can go anywhere they please. I was dumbfounded. What could make a seemingly rational couple condone behavior that is so obviously rude? Have we as a society become so consumed with our own needs and the impulses of our children that everyone else's rights are ignored? Unfortunately, we could probably all relate a similarly frustrating story that we've experienced. And sometimes we look around us and we're tempted to ask, whatever happened to common courtesy? We encounter this issue in a variety of ways. We experience it on the road. If you ever drive on the freeway, in a major city in particular, in Houston or in Austin or anywhere else you may have driven recently, you're taking your life in your hands. And people will cut you off suddenly or they'll, uh, one of my favorites is when you're trying to enter traffic and they'll zoom up just so you can't get in there because you know that one extra car makes all the difference in the world, right? We experience this when we're out in public places. I've been shocked at times to see the way that people will treat workers at uh, restaurants or at coffee shops, the abuse that they'll heap on those poor employees. I was a waiter once in a former life for a couple of years. I experienced that on occasion myself. Or I think about, you've perhaps experienced this, one occasion when Abby and I were out eating lunch. Eating lunch on a Sunday in a pretty nice establishment. And at the booth right behind us were three or four guys in their 30s, grown men. And they were using the most vulgar language, profanity imaginable. And it was just repeatedly coming out of their mouth. And they weren't using their inside voices. They were so loud and obnoxious that it was actually distracting to the meal. Now, I've heard that sort of language before. I've been in locker rooms, and even if you don't like it, there's some times when you just have to sort of go with it. But that's not the sort of thing that you expect to be subjected to when you're out in a public place at lunchtime like that. We experience that in the workplace. I could tell you 
any number of hair-raising experiences that Abby's talked to me about from just this past school year alone, dealing with children who say all sorts of terrible things and throw tantrums and uh, flip furniture, and of course, that's learned behavior. That's something that they picked up at home. Or I think about in one office that I worked in, how some of my female co-workers would uh, tell me about some of the shocking things, offensive, suggestive things that some of our male clients would say to them on the phone. And these, our clients, were lawyers, so educated, professional men who presumably know better than that. On and on and on we could go, and you could list your own personal examples here, but what stands out about this is it was not always that way in our society. When growing up, my parents were sticklers for good manners, and a lot of yours probably were too. You go to eat and you sit up straight and you put your napkin in your lap and we're definitely not going to be running back and forth around the restaurant. You always receive something and you say please when you ask for it and you say thank you once you've gotten it. We were taught to respect our elders and to treat them with courtesy. You see, this, this concept of courtesy of things that are polite and things that are rude exist everywhere around the world. It's transcendent. It crosses cultures. It crosses generations. I recognize that some of these things, of course, are culturally conditioned. Some things that are considered ill-mannered in one generation are perfectly acceptable in the next. Some things that are considered rude in one place are actually uh, encouraged in another place. Uh, for example, we don't think too much about feet or shoes in this country. But in some parts of the world, uh, shoes and feet are considered incredibly disrespectful. In the Arab world, for example, and a lot of you will probably remember a few years ago that reporter who threw his shoe at President Bush in a news conference because that was an, an insult to do that. In some parts of the world, it's considered well-mannered to burp when you're enjoying a meal because that signifies that you like the food. It's a compliment. Uh, your mom and dad probably wouldn't have liked that too much. At least I know mine wouldn't have. In India, it's considered rude to thank someone for inviting you over to their house. Whereas in America, it's considered rude not to thank someone for, do, for doing that. In many Asian countries, it's impolite to clean your plate. You know, mom and dad always said, you finish what's on your plate. You don't do that in most Asian countries because that's considered an insult. You're saying that the host didn't give you enough food. So I don't want to sound like a, an old man, you know, just ranting about the kids these days. That's not what this is about here. Different cultures have different rules. Things change, and, and that's fine. In our own society, gentlemen were once expected to remove their caps or their hats when they came indoors. That rule's obviously long since gone by the wayside, and, and that's okay. Things change. But my point is, every culture in every age has some behaviors that they consider to be rude. And yet the interactions in our society increasingly are characterized by a lack of respect. The way that people talk to one another, 
the way that people online or on reality shows are, are celebrated for speaking their mind, which is really just a license to be as rude as you want to be. The way that people are so self-centered and only think about themselves. Probably the best example of this, society-wide, is that our president is an extremely rude man. Now, I, that's not a political statement. I don't care if you voted for him or not. This isn't about issues. But even those who voted for him recognize that. that that's a calculated political tactic. He's rude by design. And some people held their nose and voted for him in spite of that. Some people who otherwise might not have voted were encouraged by that. They liked that, that he tells it like it is. And all that indicates is that he tapped in to the spirit of the times. We're an increasingly rude people on the whole. In short, we treat one another in ways that are inconsistent with Paul's demand here. We see that increasingly in our society. And what troubles me a lot more is that we see that sometimes creeping into the church. And with that in mind, let's turn and consider an example of courtesy in Scripture from the seventh chapter of Luke's Gospel. In Luke chapter 7, there is a story that demonstrates the courtesy, the politeness of Jesus on one hand, and contrasts it with the rude behavior of a Pharisee named Simon on the other hand. In verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. It's curious to invite someone over to your home without extending to them the courtesy that's due a guest. And yet, that's exactly what Simon did. Why did he invite Jesus at all? Maybe he'd heard about Jesus and was wanting to speak with him up close and personally so that he could decide for himself who he was. Maybe he was one of those name-dropper types that wanted to be able to say, well, you know, I, I had Jesus of Nazareth over to the house for dinner last week. Or maybe he already had his mind made up and it was in the negative and he wanted an opportunity to trap Jesus and to embarrass him there in front of some of his associates. At any rate... Whatever the case may be, there were three acts of common courtesy that were typically extended in that culture, in that age, to a guest who entered your home. The first one was when you greeted someone at the door, you would grab them by both shoulders and you would kiss them on the cheek, sometimes called the kiss of peace. That's typical to, to shaking someone's hand when they enter your home today. It's a sign of welcome, of greeting. The second one was that there would be a basin of water and a towel. And you would wash that guest's feet. Because everyone wore sandals and they walked everywhere that they went. And the streets were dusty and frankly there was often worse than dust on the roads too if animals had been traveling it. And so their feet were filthy. They needed to be clean. So this is a refreshing, welcoming gesture. And then third, you would have some sort of oil or ointment or perfume and you would 
anoint that guest with that as an expression of, of, of joy and receiving them there in your household. But when Jesus entered Simon's house, he didn't do any of those things. He left off all of those characteristics of just simple, everyday, common courtesy that were expected by a host in that day and age. Now you notice the response of Jesus. He could have turned on his heel and walked right out of there. He could have said, well, you know, I guess I can see that I'm not welcome here. And if you're not going to extend me that courtesy, well, then I'm not going to eat here with you. He could have done that. He would have been within his rights. But instead, it says that he went and he sat down at the table, or he reclined at table. By this time, many Jews had adopted the Roman custom of eating at a low table, and you'd have a couch, and you'd actually recline. You'd lay down upon it to eat. And it was customary, when the weather permitted, which was a lot of the time in Palestine, that you would eat outdoors in a, in a courtyard or some sort of uh, outdoor patio. And if people passed by and they heard that there was someone notable there or a teacher in particular, you could come and, and just sit in and listen to them if you wanted to. Which brings us to verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. It's a very tender scene. We get a sense of the embarrassment of this woman. She'd probably heard about Jesus before. She'd probably heard him speak before. And in his voice and in his teachings, she'd heard a hope that she hadn't experienced before. See, this woman was a sinner, a known sinner. She had a reputation. The most likely assumption is that she was a prostitute. She must have planned her visit because she brought with her this alabaster jar of perfume. So she stands behind Jesus, and as she listens to him speaking, and she thinks about herself and her own state, she begins to weep. And soon those tears flow so hot and so heavily that they actually wet his dirty feet there. They drip down on them, lying on the couch. She's embarrassed by that. And so she does the only thing she can think of in the moment. She unpins her hair and clumsily she reaches down and tries to wipe those tears from his feet. It's awkward, isn't it? What would you have done if this woman this woman, this sort of woman, comes in and stands right behind you, and then all of a sudden she starts crying all over you, and then she starts wiping you with her hair, what would we do? She's not with me. I don't know her. I've never seen her before in my life. Don't associate me with this woman. 
Or would we have been kind and polite and gentle? Notice what Jesus does. And it's interesting because, first of all, the Pharisee, Simon, he begins to pass judgment. And note the contrast, verse 39. When the Pharisee who'd invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You notice the rudeness here, not only in his judgment, but he doesn't even have the courtesy to say this aloud to Jesus. I don't know if he's speaking this only in his head, if this is an inner monologue, or if he's saying this out loud, sort of out of the side of his mouth. When you were laying down like that in ancient times, often your head would be close enough to someone where you could sort of whisper it there, and it's sort of one of those, yeah, this guy's no prophet. He'd know who she was otherwise. He didn't realize that Jesus knew what he was saying. In verse 40, Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. And then Jesus tells a parable, beginning in verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors, and owed 500, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. But now here's the application. Turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who's forgiven little, loves little. You see the politeness of Jesus here? He has consideration actually for Simon too, but also for this woman. And we contrast that with the rude behavior of Simon to Jesus and to this woman. Now, obviously, the primary lesson that we learn from this story has to do with the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus and his authority to forgive sins. But just thinking in the context of our lesson this morning about the fact that love is not rude, love is polite, let's consider a, a few lessons that we can learn from this account. First of all, it does seem to me that it's important for us to learn the rules of etiquette. That is, what's polite and what's considered to be rude. People are not going to want to respond to us if we act in a way that's rude, if we act in a way that puts them off. That goes for whether or not we're talking about it in this country or if we think about how Different cultures value different behaviors, especially if we're talking about, for example, going into a foreign country to spread the gospel. You need to know what the different cultural norms are. Otherwise, they're going to think, you know, we're the stereotypical ugly American and they're going to be turned off. They're not going to listen to that. We need to know what's polite and we need to utilize that sort of behavior if we want to reach people for Jesus Christ. Secondly, I think we need to put other people at ease around us. Now, that's one of those things that's much more easily said than done. 
But Jesus, as in all things, is our model here. And I want you to consider how that every time someone else was in his company, it didn't matter who they were, he always made them feel, feel welcome and important. If you were in our Bible class this morning, we were looking at the Gospel of Luke, and we talked about the fact that Luke in particular emphasizes that Jesus welcomed people and put people at ease that the rest of society shunned, whether it's a sinful woman like this, or whether it was tax collectors, or whether it was children who really were looked down upon in that society. A blind man, lepers, on and on and on we could go with this. People who were treated as second-class citizens, Jesus put them at ease. He welcomed them. The Son of God who said, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth, and yet he always was willing to condescend and make people feel comfortable in his presence. I also think, on the other hand, we put ourselves on the opposite side of this relationship. Third, we need to try to be understanding. We don't need to be easily offended. If someone says the wrong thing to us and hurts our feelings, or if they didn't send a thank you note and we thought they should have, or if they forgot our birthday, or any number of other things we could add to that list, it's easy to get our feelings hurt. And sometimes people are just rude and it's intentional. We've talked about some examples of that. But we need to recognize for one thing, that doesn't give us a license to be rude in return. But more importantly, I think it's important for us to give other people the benefit of the doubt. Assume the best rather than the worst. That is, people make mistakes. Or people put their foot in their mouth. Or people forget things at times. Let's assume that they didn't mean to hurt our feelings. Assume that they weren't trying to be rude to us. We ought not to think the worst about others, and we ought not to walk around with a chip on our shoulder for certain, looking for reasons to be offended. And you notice here that in this case, Jesus didn't just get up and walk out of Simon's house because of his ill treatment. And Simon was intentionally being rude. Jesus knew that. And yet, he repaid Simon with kindness. Finally, we need to be tactful with the truth. Someone has said that tactfulness is the lubrication of relationships. It reduces friction between people. How do you handle problems? How do you handle difficult situations? You know, Jesus said that we're to be as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. Are you like that, or is the only tact you know contact? There's some people like that. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, we're to speak the truth in love, but that's not axiomatic. That doesn't mean that just because we speak the truth, it's automatically in love. No, we need to uphold both of those things. And even if we tell people the truth, if we don't say it in a loving manner, if we're rude when we present it, it's going to turn them off. It's going to drive them away. And it's definitely in contrast to what Paul enjoins upon us here. Love is not rude. Love is polite. You know, we don't usually think of it this way, but in truth, the rudest thing that we can do 
is to reject the love of God that He's manifested toward us in Jesus Christ. Jesus came down to this earth. He took on human form. He walked up and down those dusty streets. His feet got dirty. He hungered and He thirsted. He rejoiced. He wept. He taught us important lessons about life. He most fully revealed God and His nature to us. And ultimately, He did what He came to this world to do, which was to die for our sins. So the most rude behavior we can exhibit is to not appreciate, to not have gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ. To look into God's Word and to see this wonderful expression of His love through Jesus and to say, nope, it's not good enough. I need more. Don't do that. If you've never responded to His love this morning, I want to urge you to decide to follow Jesus today. Put your trust in Him. Turn to God in repentance. Be buried with the Lord in baptism. Have your sins washed away. Be added to His people. Receive that great gift of grace and mercy, salvation that He's extended to you through His love in Christ. Maybe you're here this morning, you already are a Christian, but you haven't demonstrated your love for God in kind. You haven't loved Him the way that He's loved you. You haven't kept His commandments. If you need to make changes this morning, whatever your need may be, if we can help you in any way, it's the Lord's invitation while we stand and while we sing.